0: listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Luann Bagley my husband Charlie who's home with our puppy today that's another story on another day um, we just got our last night so um, we help take care of communion and we lead a life group and we are happy to be here our passage this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue knowledge, and with knowledge self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, Therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities you will never fall for in this way there will be for in hit this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ This is
1: the word of the Lord Thanks be to God Thank you maybe you can have that if you, if you knew the day and hour that you would leave this life and enter into eternity, chances are great you would write some things down. You might would write down some things that we might would consider uh, needful in the realm of a last will and testament things that you would want done with your stuff or with your people if they're still being raised. But probably you would just want to write down some of the things that were most important to you. Those things that through your life you've came to the conclusion that, you know, a a lot of things are going on and and I've probably put a lot of time and effort to, to many of them. But really, when you boil it all down, these are the most important things, and you would likely write those things down and sign your name to it so that those who you're hoping to leave a legacy to will be able to know what's most important to you. Well, that's what this letter is. This little, short, little epistle that we call 2nd Peter are the last thoughts of a guy who very likely was incarcerated at the time. It doesn't say that, or or maybe he was on just the verge of knowing that as an old man, he was going to be running out of opportunities to escape persecution. And Nero's persecution was extending in every direction. And oh, what a catch he would be as a follower of the inner circle of, of the one that All of these people are worshiping that are driving me crazy. And so knowing that his departure was imminent, I think these are how Peter wants us to remember the things that are important to him. Next week we'll see in the passage that we'll read that that he actually says, knowing that my departure is at hand, knowing that these things have to be coming very quickly. I wanted to remind you of some things. You see, I think what Peter was recognizing at this point in his life, some 30 to 35 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, as the numbers of followers, those that were coming by faith, those that were placing their trust and, and, and their confidence in, in only one God. His name wasn't Caesar. His name is jesus messiah savior risen king as those things are being tossed around and and they're being uh, fleshed out as we consider who this god is as father and son and holy spirit the numbers are growing but there are some things that are happening in those numbers there are some also things that are not happening within those numbers and i think peter has those things in mind as he writes, I think he's looking at the reality of persecution from the outside of the church being just a norm. Jesus had said it was going to happen. They hate me, they're going to hate you. They persecute me, they're going to persecute you. It just makes sense. And Peter has been the recipient of much of that persecution. He's felt the beatings. He's felt the unjust captivity. He's recognizing that many of his brothers and sisters have died in the arenas or attached to a stake or boiling from being dipped in oil to light the streets of Nero's circus. He knows what that outside persecution is. He's endured it and he's got great expectation that it's not going to quit. And one of the things He wants to do is encourage in my departure as I'm leaving this life hearing the words of Jesus in my ear on the seashore where after my biggest failure the Savior restored me by His grace, by His love. He invited me out of failure right back into fellowship with Him and then I hear those words echoing in my ear every day. Peter Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Look after those that are going to become followers of mine. Teach them the things I've taught you. Show them the way to go. Give them the things they need to understand. And I see persecutions coming and not going to stop. And and, and I need to prepare you. So that the last thing you hear me say is, Press on in the persecution. But not only that, I think Peter sees that within the church, more and more are rising to teach those things that, that Jesus taught. Unfortunately, what Peter's recognizing, and so are others, is that many are rising to teach the things that Jesus taught and are twisting them are turning them in a way that Jesus did not turn them, are are requiring things of people that Jesus did not require, or that they are inviting people into things that Jesus sternly warned his followers about. Peter recognized that within the ranks, as we're growing, more and more people are perverting and distorting the truths of the faith. And so as he's going out the door, as he's going into eternity, he's thinking about how do I prepare God's people? How how do I feed the sheep even in my departure from those wolves that are rising up within the ranks? And then the last thing that I think Peter is thinking about and we see it in his writings is that all of them expected that when Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to return again, Every one of them was expecting a short period between his departure and his return. But we're 35 years since Jesus has ascended back up into glory when Peter's writing these things. So obviously, more time than they were expecting has passed. Jesus has not returned yet and I believe what he began to see was a bit of apathy, a bit of laziness, a bit of rocking back on the heels of those believers because the, the, the expectation of the Lord's soon return was giving way to the reality that, wow, it sure has been a while since he departed And I think as Peter is looking toward his own execution, he wants to remind them, Christ is coming. That's a big deal. And just because he hadn't got here yet doesn't mean he's not coming. And we need to be consistently prepared for his return. And we need to be confident and certain in the fact that he will return. And we have a responsibility all the way to the end of our life. And I think that's what Peter, 2 Peter's epistle is, is just the last-ditch effort for this apostle who had the chance to walk on water is just giving some last, most important thoughts. And so that's what we're going to be digging into for the next few weeks. Today we want to look at what I'm calling faithful and effective. Maybe it is that as a follower of Jesus, and I hope that you are, I hope that today that you come in here as a a genuine, authentic believer, someone who wants to actively follow Jesus. If it's that you're here today and you're not, you really go, you know what, Pascal, I just don't know that I would call myself an... A genuine follower I'm curious I'm interested in the things of Jesus well that's okay we're glad you're here and we hope you'll come back every time you can and learn more about what God's Word has to say about us and him and his love for us and what he's done for us but if you're a follower of Jesus and I hope you are then probably you've thought in your life is it possible to remain truly faithful and effective until Jesus returns because the days get long and, and your list of failures begins to pile up the things you wish you could change the, the seasons in your life you wish that weren't true and, and you're wondering is it even possible to be faithful and effective all the way to the end of my life or when Christ returns whichever comes first you know what the resounding answer to that is e Yes, yes you can as a follower of Jesus. Yes, you can remain faithful and yes you can be effective. Until Christ returns or your life is spent. And I'm going to tell you why. Peter tells us through the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's because it doesn't have anything to do with what you bring to the table. It has everything to do with what God has provided for you. It's the simple reality of in your redemption. By your salvation. You have... The toolbox for faithfulness and effectiveness. Everything you need. All we got to do is put it to work. Can you be faithful and effective? You bet your life you can. And I want to encourage you as an echo or as a 2,000-year-old like a, a extension of Peter's mouth. I want to be an encouragement to you. To believe that God wants and has made it possible for you to be effective and faithful to the end. Are you a follower of Jesus today? Got one. Are you a follower of Jesus today? Okay. Do you want to be faithful and effective? Well, let's talk about it. Let's see what God has to say. First, as we think about our salvation, remember what the Apostle Paul called our salvation. In Ephesians chapter number 6, he's talking about pieces of armor. If you came to family bible time you'll remember those pieces of armor we had shoes we had belts we had breastplates and swords and shields but that one piece that really looked to you if you were here you say one piece of armor was plastic or a lot of pieces of armor were plastic and came from china i know that but there was one piece of the armor that actually looked authentic because it was metal and it actually looked uncomfortable do you remember what that was the helmet. Paul calls our salvation a helmet that we put on our head, protects our mind, governs our thinking. This guy on death row who Jesus had called to feed us and lead us and show us the way to continue following him says... If you're going to be faithful and effective, you've got to get your mind wrapped around your salvation. First and foremost, you've got to get your mind wrapped around the nature of your salvation. Verse number one, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are those, last week we explained those were the churches in Asia Minor, we believe, that he wrote to in his first letter to the churches. Those of you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness or by the righteous actions of our God and Savior Jesus Christ a distinctive identification to Jesus as God don't mistake that that's not a grammatical error that's not a, a matter of interpretation Peter is identifying Jesus as God. What's cool about it is in the book of Acts, when he's dealing with a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, he talks about them trying to lie to God as he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So what has Peter done in in just some of his preaching in the New Testament? He knows who the Father is, but he's also identified both the Son and the Spirit as God. Thank you so much, Peter. You probably didn't even know what you were doing, but thank you for being the instrument of God to help us understand that there's one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But don't miss what he's saying in the bigger point. And that is, this letter's going to you Christians who are in these churches that are being persecuted. These churches that are under fire. These churches that are feeling the pressure. Remember what you have. And that is a faith as genuine as ours. The result of the righteousness of Jesus. Salvation comes to us, not by our works. Not by our trying really hard, not by anything that we bring to the table, but it comes to us as a gift, a gift of grace, God's grace. And that grace can only be received by faith in the righteous works of Jesus done for us in our place and for our sin. Jesus took our sin on himself, was was voluntarily laid on the cross so that he might pay sin's price for humanity that was received in full, Jesus' blood like the Passover lamb whose blood was painted over the doorpost, like the Day of Atonement lamb who was taken, whose blood was poured on the Ark of the Covenant through the Old Testament era. Jesus became the better, the supreme, the never-need-another-again sacrifice. In our place for our sin, died, was buried. But on the third day, Revealed by His resurrection that His sacrifice was sufficient, that death could not hold Him, that sin had been dealt with, and that yes, He is King, and even putting Him to death is not going to stop that because there He is victorious and raised never to face death again. Do you want to follow me or not is the gospel. It's a gift. It's it's paid for by Christ and is given to you by Him, but it's something that must be obtained by faith to those who have obtained a faith. Now, I know there's a, a doctrine that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. In fact, it makes me confused. But because I have, a, I have an inability to explain how it all works at the same time. Chad knows where I'm going with this. It's that idea of did God choose me or did I choose God? And here's the thing. If you try to explain either of these things away, you'll find yourself in a pool full of error. Because God's Word says that, yes, we must, of our will, we must choose by faith, we must surrender our will to the gospel, to the truth. But at the same time, Peter uses a word here that says, to those of you who have obtained. You go, so what's the big deal? Well, this idea of obtained means to receive by divine will like God had a a part in this you say well that's just one little word well just hold on to your seats because he's going to use another little word here in a minute and it's the same one that he used in the first letter that he wrote to these churches calling them elect when I wait a minute pastor Kevin I don't like how that makes me feel that means that makes me feel like God chooses some and doesn't choose others You know, what I've found in Scripture is that it's not my responsibility to help you feel better. I just called to tell you what he says. And you cannot get around the fact that there are time and time again through Peter and Paul and Jesus in his words to his disciples that talk about God's choosing. So what do we do? We are thankful that God does the choosing and we ain't got to figure it out and we respond obediently to the gospel when it's offered to us, amen? We respond, that's our responsibility and, and that's for which we will be held accountable and then we're just thankful that God knows what he's doing and it's good that he hasn't explained to us what he's talking about, but thank you for letting us know that you picked me. Hey, that kind of makes me feel good because I always got picked last on the, on the baseball field or on the basketball court and you picked me, Why? It's not about you, it's about me. Okay, thanks, Lord. You pick, yeah. I got to choose? Yeah, good. Let's move on. Are you good and confused yet? Excellent. That's where I live. Salvation is that gift that's got to be received by faith. It's a, a faith obtained. But then Peter wants to make sure that all these guys understand that their faith, the nature of their faith and their salvation is of equal standing to his. Now, wouldn't you like to think, well, Peter and James and John, I mean, they kind of got super saved, you know? Peter, James, and John did. And then those other apostles, they kind of got, you know, a, a, an extra dose of salvation. And I got I to got barely got in salvation, you know? That's all I got to offer. Just, I just got to barely got just, you know, yeah, come on, you can come to. No, no. Peter says, look, what Christ has done in me, you remember last week? You remember what Christ did in Peter? Brought him from a numbskull on the side of the, of the, the lake that just willing to jump into any old adventure to taking charge and even arguing with the Lord and then finding himself on the floor having failed him royally by denial and then Jesus picking him up and dusting him off. That's the dude we're talking about. He says, what Christ did in me, what he's doing through me, is because of the faith that has been given to me to trust him and to know him. And it's the same faith you got. If God can accomplish it in Peter, he can accomplish it in you. Because it ain't about Peter, it's about Christ. It's about what God is doing in you. So the nature of your salvation is you can do anything to get it. It's a gift of God. It's all on the basis of Christ's work. And it's of the same sort that everybody's got. Nobody's more saved than another. Nobody has more opportunity than another. If you're in by faith, you're in. And it's all the same. We all got the same precious salvation. That's the nature of what you have. That's the nature of the helmet you need to put on to protect your noodle in these times that that you've got all kinds of stuff coming at you. It's realizing what you've got and where it's from. You say, I know all that. I, I get it. I get we know it. But when we don't walk in that, that's when we become unfaithful and unaffected. Do we want to be effective and faithful to the end? Yeah, well, you got to remember, first and foremost, what you have, the nature of your salvation. But not only the nature of it, we want to look at the benefits of it. Now, he goes into this second verse. And it's kind of like a, a like a an introduction. A, a salutary salutation comes at the end, right? I forget. Whatever it's it's like a greeting that he says, and it would be real easy to just kind of jump over the greeting, kind of like we do when we go, "Hey, how are you doing?" And then we turn as the person is about to go, "Well, I and you, go, hey, how are you doing?" And then we turn and walk away right it's a throwaway greeting because it's it's really more about us just being nice we're not really interested in what we're saying or what they have to say because we're just so used to these throwaway greetings don't apply that here you know don't don't, don't think that Peter's saying hey i hope you guys are well i hope i hope this hope this letter finds life going well for you, you know, that's throwaway greeting you know that's just that's just cheesy he says I'm praying, or I'm hoping, or, or I'm asking that grace and peace be multiplied in you. Here I am, I'm Peter, I'm an apostle, I, having the same kind of faith as yours. It's that precious thing from, from the activity of Christ given to us by His divine will. And, and I'm, just, I'm just praying that grace and peace will be multiplied in your life. You know why Peter's saying that? Because if you know Jesus as your Savior... Grace and peace are an unlimited reality for you. He's not saying, may the force be with you. He's saying, do you have any idea how much grace and peace has been dumped out for you to stand in, to bathe in, to Frolic in the grace and peace. Think about what Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says. It says, There is uh, neither, well, that doesn't make sense. I should have read that before. Look at Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, look, if I've got peace with God, does any other conflict really have any bearing on my life? Like, like if, if, if I'm at peace with the boss, if things are cool with me and the boss, is it really all that significant that my coworker across the way don't like me? No, it's it's not. Significant. And they talk about me, and 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 they try to to harm me and do things uh, to to try to get me into. But if I'm okay with the boss and I'm at peace with him or her, then it really doesn't matter. All these other things, everybody in the office can hate me, but if but if I'm good with the boss, then it's all good. Do you realize that if you've been justified by faith, you're at peace with God. Before, you were His enemy. Before... Not of his choosing, by the way. Before, you were taking up a stand against your creator in your sin. Doing what you wanted. Being the master of your domain and saying, I'm going to be what I'm going to be. I'm going to lead my life. Watch what I can do. And God says, that kind of attitude is taking a stand against me. That makes you my enemy. And whether you know it or not, that's the line we're standing in until we're justified by faith and then guess what happened when we're justified by faith it's red rover red rover send nathan right over and nathan come to christ you know god's like get over here on the right side of this line boy get over here with me we're at peace we're on god's team now we're no longer his enemy we're good with him why because of the righteous acts of God that have been given to us by faith in which we stand in this new relationship. The benefit is, I got, I'm got, i at peace with God. He's, he's not against me anymore because He's brought me into His family. Not only that, we've been justified, therefore, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 of Romans 5 says, Through Him, Christ we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, put put your thinking caps on. Salvation comes to us by God's grace. God shows us favor we don't deserve. and His grace is what provides salvation. And then when we trust by faith then we get brought in by grace into more grace we get shown favor as a sinner while we were still sinners christ died for us we're brought in by grace and then we are standing in grace you, you ever been like standing somewhere and it's raining and there's no way for you to get out of the water nowhere you turn can you you know it's like if i can just find a dry place to stand It's like that in the grace of God. If you know Jesus as Savior, the benefit of your salvation is you can't get out of His favor. You can't get out of His treasured status. You're just standing in grace. I'm trying to think where I was at. And I was watching a mama come across. Oh, I was at the the racetrack, gas station. And it was raining one afternoon, and I was watching this mama carry, you know, she was holding the hand of this little kid walking across the parking lot. You know what that little kid was doing as, you know, mama's just trying to get to the car. You know, can we just get from the place to the car? You know what that little kid was doing at every puddle he came to? Actually, I think it was a she. She would jump up, and with both feet, she would slop down in that, in that water. And, you know, and the mom was like, come on, will you come on? And that kid was just like, no, nah, I got puddles to jump in. I got water to frolic around it. This is awesome. You know what, kids? Help us to remember that that's what the grace is supposed to look like. Not, not something that we got to hurry up. because No, we just need to just bask in it and realize, yeah, I can, I can be faithful. I can be effective to the end because I'm standing in God's favor. And if I just recognize that, then I realize the arena in which I'm living and I begin to walk that out. I'm at peace with God. I've got a salvation that's mine by faith, but it's on the basis of what Christ has done for me. It's been given to me. It's it's mine. I'm I'm, I'm on God's side. I'm at peace with Him. I'm standing in His grace. I'm swimming in it. I can't get out of it. But not only that. Verse number 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, this is a fun verse to unpack. Back in Ephesians, when we did the, the book of Ephesians, remember at the very beginning of the book, it says that, that God has given us all. Y'all remember, y'all remember, some of you do. You remember motions and whatnot. For weeks and weeks and weeks, I talked about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ guaranteed for us in the heavenlies. Can't be stolen. Not, not, not gonna have a market bottom. Ain't no gonna be no global shortages on the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ because they're being managed by God Himself. You remember we talked about that? Everything we need to do, everything He wants. And to become everything he desires. He's got it all. Peter's saying the same thing. The benefit of your salvation is you are at peace with God. You are standing knee-deep, wasted nose-deep in the grace of God. And he's given you everything you need. When a company pilots a product, we love when they do that. Because when they pilot the product... They give you everything you need. Some of you will remember back in the days when you bought an iPhone, you got earbuds and you got a charging block and you got a a, a charging cord and, and you got all those kind of things because they wanted to make sure you had everything you needed to make that operate. Go buy an iPhone now. Well, am i am supposed to listen to music with? Oh, well, we've got a product that you can also purchase for, you know, half your paycheck. Oh, you need to charge this thing? Well, certainly we would love to be able to sell you a charging block or some kind of thing to plug your... You know, because they done got a little bit stingy with their stuff. They know how much we like it now, so they're only giving us a little bit and then inviting us to come buy some more. Salvation, God goes, look... I've got the entire kit. I've got the whole thing right here. And, and it's there. It's all yours. It's everything you need to do to walk through life and to walk in godliness, both faithful and everything you need in the kit. It's right there. You don't need anything. No no need to go buy batteries for this thing. No need to get a travel case. No need to get the you know the protective plant. It's all there. There's nothing like, Yeah, but God, what about no, It's in the box. It's in it. Everything you need I've given and and I got more than you'll ever need right here with your name on it. What we can't do is say I just wish I could be effective and faithful, but you know what? It's just, it's not in me. God's going, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. I put it there. I packed it. And, and there's nothing like, you know, there, you didn't open it up, go, well, look here. The box is here, but the product, not. no. Everything we need has been given to us by a faithful, gracious, and loving God. And all we've got to do is open the box and put it to work. Everything you need. Romans 8, 32. He, talking about God the Father, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? You got it all. Not only that, we get the benefit, verse number 4, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We've got Old Testament promises, we got New Testament promises, and they all have benefit to us. What are some of those? That God will forgive our sins, past, present, and future. That new birth and adoption into God's family is God's plan. That spiritual strength will be given to us by the Holy Spirit. That we'll have comfort in times of suffering. That we'll have provisions in times of need. That eternity with Christ will be our destiny upon death in this life. That bodily resurrection will be a reality for every follower of Jesus And that participation in His kingdom is an absolute guarantee. Those promises, along with everything else we need, are what presses us on. We can look to here and say, if God said it, that settles it. It's a promise that I can count on. He's never missed a promise. He's always fulfilled what he said. Well, he hadn't done everything. Well, then this ain't time yet. He's gonna because you won't be able to convict him of doing anything contrary to what he said he'd do. So we can trust him. We can count on him. These promises of God, you know what they do? They remind us that we are partakers with him. Because one of those promises is that we are heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Him. We are part of the family. So what does that mean? That means that not only do followers of Jesus have the stamp of the image of God in our life, we also have direct connection to the nature of God. Like we are really part of the family. Like, it's, it's a reality that is documented and secured and settled in the heavenlies. It's those promises that remind us that. It's those promises that are able to keep us from falling back into the corruption that surrounds and entices those evil desires that we wrestle with every day. If we're going to be faithful and effective, we've got to put on the helmet of salvation. Remember its nature. Remember its benefits. But then like we discussed in our sermon a few weeks ago on the idea of growth. You remember those that disciples connect, serve, grow, and go? That idea of growing has a response built in. It's, it's that God doesn't just want us, He doesn't want to just back up and watch how we materialize like, like a child would, you know, that, that a child just kind of gets bigger, right? And, and but, but but as parents, we don't want to see our child just get bigger, do we? No, no. We want to see them walk. We want to see them run. There comes a point where if they're not talking, if they're not responding, then we're recognizing that there's a, an issue that needs to be dealt with. So we not only want to see them grow larger in their pant size, we want to see them develop. God wants us to develop, but that requires our response. See, I can order something on Amazon, and it can be there to me in 48 hours or less. But if it sits out there on the porch, it's either going to get wet and ruined or stolen. I can't just leave it out there and go, well, hey, I got my thing. It's, hey, that's that thing I need to fix the thing that's broke. Awesome. That's all I need to do. No, I got to open the box. I got to take it out. I got to put it to use. Peter says, not only do you have everything, but you got to remember if you're going to be faithful and effective you got to open a box. you got to put these things to practice. You've got to pursue those things that God has laid out for you. What does he say? He, He uses terms like add to your faith. Verse number five. For this very reason, because of everything you've got, because of everything you've been given, make every effort to supplement your faith. That means get up off the couch of your spiritual life, And start getting busy on what has been given you. Paul says, work out your own faith. That means get up and start living this out. What does he want you to do? He says, I want you to take that faith that was given to you with all of those benefits. Everything you need. And I want you to pursue virtue. What is that? It's the idea of moral excellence over a lifetime. It's the idea of saying, I I am a new creation. I'm in the family of God. Now, what I want my life to do and to be from this point on is a reflection of who I am now. I want to live out my life with virtue, with excellence. I want to walk and follow Jesus. And you know, Jesus is not ever going to lead us anywhere other than moral excellence if we'll follow him. Peter says, you want to be faithful? You want to be effective? You want to avoid all the trip falls? Then start pursuing virtue. Make it a part of your life. Second, knowledge. This is the idea of increasing understanding and application of truth. You you want to be effective and, and, and you want to be faithful? Then Don't just be hearers of the Word, says James, but be doers of the Word. Start understanding and wrestling and and studying and asking questions and writing stuff down so that you learn more. Maybe memorize a verse or two here and there to help you in a time of of difficulty and, 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 and circumstances that need a reminder of truth. Virtue, knowledge... Then self-control, pursue self-control. What is self-control? It's holding oneself in. It's self-discipline. It's self-restraint. It's the spiritual equivalent of wanting the ice cream in large quantities. But knowing that is not something I should be doing right now. At any time, really, but certainly not at 9 o'clock in the evening. It's saying no to what I genuinely want in order to say yes to what I need. That spiritual self control that goes, I, what I want to do, oh, what I want to do, but I'm not because I gotta be self controlled. Or those evil desires that go, ah, just a li-. no. Self control, restraint, restraint, holding myself in. Add to that. That's not just going to happen. You're going to have to make it a point to go there. I heard someone say that you'll never drift to the place you want to go. you got to paddle to the place you want to go. If you just drift, you're going to end up a state or two south of here, right? Well, not of here. You end up in ocean. But you're going to end up a county or two south of here, right? Because that's what happens when you drift aimlessly. You want to get somewhere, you got to know where you're going, and you got to paddle yourself towards self-control. Steadfastness, it's perseverance, patience, enduring, and doing what is right. It's, it's wanting to add virtue, moral excellence to my life, and then it's pursuing steadfastness. The idea that I'm going to be patient, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to stay at this even though I want to lay down and be lazy. Godliness, add to it, he says. This is genuine reverence, adoration for, and worship of God. Not just knowing stuff about God, but actually adoring Him. Add to that brotherly affection. The word there in the Greek is literally Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. You've got to... God, God's It's in the box. Loving your brothers. It's in the box. But you got to take it out and you got to put it to work. That brotherly affection going, you really annoy me. I really won't want to be with you right now, but I'm going to because I'm pursuing brotherly kindness, brotherly affection. You pursue that. Why? That's what you've been called to do. It's in the box. It's a part of godliness. It's a part of effectiveness and faithfulness. And then the most godly attribute of all, add to your brotherly uh, affection, love. That desire to see and and want the best for others, it's it's the most godly attribute there is because Scripture says God Himself is love. Peter goes on to say, For if these qualities, verse 8 are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. I like saying it this way. If you're pursuing these things on the basis of what you have, it will keep you effective and fruitful. It will keep you from being out of touch. It'll keep you from being disconnected by remembering what you got and by pursuing what's in the box everything I need and I just put it to work following Christ it's the response to our salvation and then lastly we see the results of our salvation or or results of our response verse number 10 therefore brothers Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and, there it is again, election. What does that mean? We don't know, but we're thankful for it. Be all the more diligent to confirm or to give evidence of your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Does that mean you won't make mistakes? No. Does that mean that you won't have hiccups? No but it does mean you'll avoid major spiritual failure. If you're pursuing these things, it does mean that you'll not experience long seasons of doubt and disconnection. Because you can't walk with Jesus faithfully every day. You can't be pursuing those things that actually all of those seven just actually look like Jesus. You can't be pursuing those things and then fall into a hole because Jesus is not going to lead you into that hole. But when we get lazy, when we start letting our life just sort of drift, where do we find ourselves? In big old fat failure and ruin. But don't be in despair because Peter's the poster child of being restored. But but if I can help you avoid that, any parent ever looked at a child and said, just because I did it and, and God brought me through it doesn't mean I want you going through it. Does that make sense? Peter's going, "Oh yeah, you can be restored, but man, if I could just go back and not deny Jesus, and if I can help you avoid that, I want to." He says you won't do that if you're pursuing him, if you're if you're listening and you're truly embracing what he's saying and calling you to. And not only that, verse number 11, the the result of your response is that for in this way, there will be a richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Not only all of this can you be faithful and effective in this life, but when you walk into that kingdom, you'll have an opportunity to have your Lord <clears throat> greet you. Now, how upside down is that? For us to be greeted by the King and Savior. Get in here, everybody. Look at this right here. I'm so excited to announce and to show off to you my son, my daughter, my brother, my sister. Look, I want you to know what they did is they opened the box that we provided And they put to use what we've given to them. And they've walked it out. And it's been tough. And it's been hard. And oh yeah, they've had some bruises and bumps along the way. But I just want to applaud their faithfulness. I want to applaud their effectiveness. Which really is just my faithfulness in them. And my effectiveness through them. But I just want to bask in the one that I love. Or... We can live in a way that we walk through the door and look for a back row. Which is not at all what we've been called to. So here's the response that we have today. Do you want to be faithful and effective in your life? Well, that begins first and foremost with salvation that comes as a gift of God that you've got to receive by faith. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, you can't be effective. You can't be faithful because you're in the enemy ranks. But you don't have to be. If you'll just embrace what Christ has done for you, surrender to Him as crucified and risen for your salvation. If you'll just embrace Him, you can be brought into the family by one of those precious promises through new birth and adoption. But Christian... If you know Jesus is Savior and you want to live faithful and effective, well then make it a habit of remembering all that is yours in Christ. Be His faithful and effective disciples. You've got everything you need. And then we got to make just a consistent effort to invest in. Not to earn, but to invest in what was already given to us. Put to work what's been supplied to us because we have eyes that see what's ahead. What of those seven attributes is most lacking in your life? Maybe all of them, but but could you pick one? The first step towards seeing that change is confessing it to your Lord and asking Him to make that a reality in your life. That's the first step of walking these things out for his glory so that when he comes, we'll be found faithful and effective for his glory. Can you be faithful and effective to the end? Yes, you can. You got all you need. Just put it to work. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. I pray right now for the one who who may not be certain that they're your child because they, they've never placed their genuine trust in Jesus. I pray that today will be the day that they recognize their sin, but, but as, as helpless as that makes them feel, may they be elated by the hope that they realize that comes directly from you. It's, it's new life. It's forgiveness. It's a way out of darkness into the light and it's by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I pray that they will voluntarily, willingly desire Him as their Lord and Savior today. If that's you, I pray that you won't leave this place until we talk more about it because I'd love to spend some time talking to you and showing you more about what God's Word has to say. Now God, we ask that you'll help us as your children to hear the words of a a, a, a dying soon apostle of your son Jesus. Help us to hear your words through his mouth. Yes, we can be faithful. Yes, we can be effective. But we got to remember what's been given to us by you. And we've got to walk that stuff out, putting it to practice, pursuing it. Because we want to walk faithful, because we want to be effective. May that be our desire. Show us that way. Reveal those things that we need to put to practice and action this day. We love you. We trust you. First, in Jesus' name we pray. And all of the ways the church said,